0: I think I, I think first and foremost, to kind of center on why you want to do it. Um, I worry a lot that many, many people are looking to start companies because entrepreneurship is glorified, because they see Slack going public today, because of extrinsic rewards. Mm. And uh, the journey is just flat out too hard for that.
1: Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest today was Ryan Kaldbeck, the CEO of Circle Up. I reached out to Ryan because he wrote this amazing tweet, tweet storm actually, about how stressful it was for him to pivot at the Series C stage. Uh, And he just kind of really provides so much value in this episode for founders who are struggling with stress and want to understand how to intelligently work with that stress in order to create what they want to create. You're know, and you doing this for a reason uh, and Ryan has a lot of valuable wisdom here to share. Uh, really hope you enjoy it. I want to let you guys know about an online course I'm going to offer with Anders Jones, the CEO of Facet Wealth, who raised $40 million to start a financial services company uh, in Baltimore and is now building a remote team based off of his initial success in, in uh, taking on the financial services and really excited to um, offer this online course for you guys basically it's going to be a a live training where i interview um i interview andrews about how to raise a series a and then build a remote team around it Uh, so we're going to offer a lot of value as to how to raise money and also how to build a remote team Uh, and what i love doing is extracting wisdom from people who are too busy to extract it themselves and providing it. Uh, hopefully it's valuable. This is what I try to do with the podcast and now I'm trying to uh, build, build some content so I can be in service of those people who are going through really stressful situations and try to find the right information at the right time. So that's my goal of my, of my online course. If you're interested, please sign up to my blog at stewartalsop.substack.com. I'm going to be including a lot more information about the course. It is application only. Um, uh, we want to make sure we have the right founders, who who are really, you know, can handle the the, the basic truth of of what what it requires to raise money and the in the, in the difficulty that that entails. Uh, so we want to make sure that it's the right people going through the course. So if you're if you're interested, please please find my blog at stewartallsop.allsop.substack.com uh, and sign up, and you'll get some more information on on the course. Uh, hope you guys have a great day. Hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest is Ryan Kaldbeck. He is the CEO and co-founder of Circle Up, an investment platform empowered by technology. Uh, really excited to bring Ryan here on the show because uh, he tweeted this brilliant tweet, um, which I can link to later, about all the struggles and stresses and challenges that he built uh, that he dealt with um, in building Circle Up. So Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, what? how have you dealt with stress? So this tweet just kind of like explained totally honestly all the challenges you faced in building Circle Up. What What is the number one thing that you learned from that experience?
0: Well, I mean, <laughs> I learned a lot. Um, first of all, I, I should say I'm not a psychologist um, what has worked or not worked for me may or may not work for other people. Um, and, and I guess maybe the, the thing that's been most important for me to learn is to ask for help um, and to, and to take the help. Um, you know, I think entrepreneurs um, one of the most important traits an entrepreneur can have is persistence. Um, you know, call it grit, call it persistence, whatever, the ability to, to run through walls, almost as an irrational uh, level, um, but that trait is a little bit of a double-edged sword. In that, uh, I think it it sometimes leads entrepreneurs to uh, want to just keep taking on more and more pain without asking for help, without seeking
1: out help. Mm. Uh, and that was a a learning for me. Mm. What do you think the most problems the problems that most founders have with asking for help?
0: I think it doesn't occur to them um, that their personal uh, mental health is something that is uh, important for the company. Mm. I think mental health sometimes gets viewed well. Certainly, in a uh, uh, kind of in in some circles, it's difficult to talk about. But by and large, I don't think a lot of people associate it with the performance of the company. They sometimes view it as like a, a selfish thing, right? Mm. Like you know, if you're taking time off to go work out in the middle of the day or do meditation or just unplug from the computer, et cetera, um, I think that our society, particularly in Silicon Valley, has has kind of painted those in not always the the best of light. Mm -hmm. Um, But if the entrepreneur burns out, if the CEO burns out, if the CEO doesn't have mental health, they're not as sharp, they're not as effective with the team, it's hard to inspire others and I don't think can stay in the seat as long. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at entrepreneurs that have tried to get out, tried to sell early. It is usually um, a reflection, in part, of uh, mental health issues, mm. um, and uh, that that's that's kind of the connection um, that I see back to the company. Apart from just your own mental health and, and staying healthy um, for your own well-being.
1: Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of things that we can go into in this. Uh, Stephen Covey, the author of Seven Effective, Highly uh, Habits of Highly Effective People, talked about the golden goose and the eggs that it laid. And so the golden goose is pumping out these golden legs, eggs, and you can make the golden goose pump out a lot more eggs, but you're permanently ruining that opportunity to create eggs if you kill the golden goose yeah uh, so yeah and, and then the other thing is that mo- a lot of the evidence about what we know about the nervous system about the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system goes into exactly what you just said which is that if you don't take care of yourself you're going to make really bad decisions um and as a founder and a ceo of the company that's the job right would you was that accurate description of what the job of a ceo is what is the job of a ceo or a co-founder I think the
0: CEO has, in my view, three jobs. Um, one is making sure the company doesn't run out of money. Um, another is to uh, set and communicate uh, the vision to, mm-hmm. to different stakeholders. And the third is to attract and retain talent. Mm-hmm. Um, but that retention of talent you know, includes mm-hmm. yourself. Right? Finding a way to, if you're the right CEO or the right, you know, filling the right role, to stay in that role. Um, and the journey is lonely. The journey is so hard. It's a roller coaster The highs are really high, Mm. but the lows are really really low Mm. and uh, I I think in that process if you're not taking care of yourself physically mentally spiritually, I I think it's really hard to to stick it out for the long haul Mm. We had an entrepreneur come talk to the circle up um, a few days ago, uh, we often kind of once a month bring in entrepreneurs to talk to us about their journeys. And, and this one had sold his company for uh, close to a billion, um, an unbelievable entrepreneur. And he said uh, he has never had five good days in a row. Mm. And for folks that haven't been on that journey, mm. it's really hard to imagine like j- just the frequency of uh, uh, the bad days, but also just like the, the, the roller coaster, right? Like just the peak Valley, peak Valley. Um, and, uh, it wears on you. Um, and so I think maintaining, developing the right routines and right methods for, for you to stay healthy. Um, and then having the discipline to to keep those routines, Mm. um, is, is I think vitally important.
1: You mentioned a spiritual practice. Uh, Do you have a spiritual practice or a philosophical kind of undertaking or a philosophical backdrop for why you do what you do?
0: Um, So, (laughs) yes, um, I don't I don't talk about it often publicly, um, but uh, well, so. People think of spirituality in, in different ways. I happen to be religious. Um, I'm, I'm Catholic. Um, I go to church. I, I we, we pray as a family. Um, but apart from that, um, I uh, I meditate twice a day, um, and I find that that mindfulness um, has been really really helpful for me to just center myself and help to slow down my mind um, to be more present in conversations, both personally and professionally um, to help
1: me sleep chemically, um, all of those things. Mm. And we can, we don't have to go into this at all if you don't want, but I, I really, uh, think a lot about meditation and prayers. I started meditating about seven years ago and, um, uh, I had, as a child, I'd grown up uh, in a religious family, but then I, uh, I kind of, uh, rejected a lot of it and I stopped praying. And and now my meditation practice has brought me back into prayer, mm-hmm. uh, and I think of meditation as listening to God, um, mm-hmm. God being whatever you know it is for you it's hard to put that into a word but uh, and then prayer being basically talking and 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 uh, a communication with God what, what do you think about that?
0: I think that's interesting. I mean I think for each everyone it's different. Um, I haven't thought about it in that way, but I think it's a really interesting framework mm-hmm. um, for me, meditation has been a time to um, try and really just center myself uh, and and to try and block out as much as possible just distractions. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do transcendental meditation, Mm -hmm. which is effectively practice of repeating a a Sanskrit word over and over again for 20 Mm -hmm. minutes twice a day. Um, And so there has not been a direct religious tie for me. I certainly feel a spiritual tie. Um, but I, 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 appreciate the way you just described it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think, uh, I think spirituality and religion, um, and, and certain parts of America, and I think this is, is in Silicon Valley is, is, one of them have not, uh, gotten the the greatest of, of raps. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's not always easy to, to talk about or do. Um, and I, you know, I don't know that it, it is effective and an effective path for everyone. Um, but it's
1: something that has been effective for me. Mm, interesting. Um, have you, uh, created a similar, uh, are you guys offering your employees access to this type of stuff at all? Um, we've done some
0: medication, uh, uh, classes here. Um, we, uh, we don't do it on a regular basis, but we have in the past.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so for a founder that's going through these peaks and these valleys and everything like that, is there kind of one thing that you would, having done it yourself and to somebody who's thinking about beginning this, uh, is there something you can say to them in order to kind of put it into perspective?
0: About starting the journey as an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah. Or if they're in that, or if they're in that phase where they're, where they're, they haven 't seen the outputs of their of their inputs and they 're kind of running up against a lot of the the, the difficulty of starting it out um, i think
0: I, I think first and foremost to kind of center on why you want to do it um, I worry a lot that many many people are looking to start companies because entrepreneurship is glorified because they see Slack going public today because of extrinsic rewards. Mm. And uh, the journey is just flat out too hard for that. Mm. Um, You know, probably everyone in the world would uh, take Stewart's path for Slack if they knew it would end up in Slack. Mm. Very few people would have in the moment wanted to keep with it when it pivoted, you know, early on. Um, And they basically had nothing um, Mm -hmm. early on in the company Mm -hmm. and you have to stick with it. um, If you have, or you, you, you know, I think entrepreneurs choose to stick with it in the hardest of times when you're running through their fifth wall in a row and there's no end in sight, you stick with it in part because you have an irrational passion to build something that you think will matter. Mm. might matter on different scales, with different people, different ways, but you think it matters and it should be created for the world. Mm. Um, and I don't see that from all, and perhaps even most, entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And so I my first piece of advice is just really hone in on why you want to do the thing. And if it is for an extrinsic rewards, be really, really careful. Mm-hmm. I've not seen a lot of entrepreneurs... Uh, be successful, um, with, without that kind of irrational passion. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the second thing I would say is, is, um, you know, be very clear about what you need, um, and for your own journey. Mm -hmm. And so that might be, as we talked about before meditation, it might be management coaches might be, uh, in, in my case, it is a CEO network of, CEOs that are willing to be authentic and vulnerable, um, that we can open up to each other on a regular basis and have difficult conversations, be there for each other. Mm. Um, having a companion, my wife is, is extremely supportive of it. Um, whatever it is that you need, but try to really identify that. Because when you start the company and things get really, really hard, that's the Really difficult time to pull back and say, you know what I'm gonna start doing I'm gonna start looking for other CEOs to be a part of a group or I'm just, I'm gonna I'm working in 90 hours this week But I'm gonna spend an extra three hours searching for a management coach mm-hmm. that's the hardest time to kind of go out and search for uh, resources and, and a support network so um, Identifying what why you're doing it what your mission is and why that's important to you intrinsically and uh, trying to build the support network to to carry you through, um, I think are, are probably two things that um, I've learned have been really important for for my journey.
1: Yeah, and that's key. It is the it brings up the distinction between what is important and what is urgent. And a lot of times, particularly first time founders, myself included, when I was doing it, the that, that the urgency of other people's agendas and all or my own agendas was overtook the important parts. And what you're talking about is really important things like. If you need a management coach, find that management coach now, as opposed to when the fire is burning. How do you, um, in, in 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 your business life or in your personal life, distinguish between what is important and what is urgent, or what is both? It's
0: funny we use that framework a lot here. Um, we, we draw on a piece of paper, uh, you know, a two by two. Honestly, important on one axis and urgent on the other, mm. um, and we do that for a lot of activities. Mm. Um, so. You know, I, I don't know that I have a, a perfect framework to figuring it out. I, I think just the identification of that framework has been really valuable for me mm-hmm. uh, and, and for our company um, because, you know, you'll get 500 emails in a day and uh, there's a lot of different things that are burning. You can't deal with them all. You really have to focus, um, uh, you know, I think Reed Hoffman in his uh, most recent book talked about like focus on the two or three fires that matter. Let the other ones just burn, let Mm -hmm. it happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And figuring out what matters, it's a kind of combination of what is urgent and important. Um, uh, So that, that, that framework has just been helpful for me to kind of talk things through. Um, I don't know that it's much more sophisticated
1: than that, to be frank Mm -hmm. with you. Yeah. I mean, if you have a person, a recent example, that would be awesome, but if not, it's totally fine. I can move on. Um,
0: Yeah, you know, so so I'll give will give a, a couple examples. Um, one is uh, uh, we have um, some roles to fill. Those mm. roles uh, on engineering and data science um, are extremely important for us to build. They are also urgent, mm. and so the way I tried to describe it to the team is is kind of why it's urgent. As I walked through the burn that we have every single month. And I talk about like our ability to achieve our goals and the lack of hiring these, these new hires takes us will take us several more months to achieve our goals. Mm. Each additional month of burn far outweighs the cost of bringing those people in earlier, Mm. which makes it Mm. an urgent issue. Um, so that math, and I don't know if this is effective over a podcast, but that math that we lay out on the board usually helps people understand why it is so urgent. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll contrast that with, um, branding in our office. So not just swag, but like you know, your t-shirts, jackets, but also like we have quotes from entrepreneurs that we've worked with. So a little bit of background circle up, as you mentioned before, is an investment platform, Powered by technology, we built a technology that finds companies, evaluates them um, in the consumer space, and then we invest into those companies, equity Mm -hmm. or credit. Mm -hmm. We work with entrepreneurs. Our mission is to help entrepreneurs to thrive by giving them the capital and resources that they need. And so to help remind folks um, of our mission and of the impact that we're having, we put quotes around the office. Um, And those quotes today are about two years old. Mm -hmm. And so we want to refresh those quotes. We want to refresh some of the branding around the office. Um, I think it's an important thing in that um, it's related to pride, it's related to uh, communicating our vision more effectively, uh, aligning everyone on kind of where this is headed. All those things are important. Mm-hmm. I, don't think it's, I don't think it's urgent. Like one more day or one more week of the quotes it doesn't really move the needle that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just talk those things through as a team and kind of agree where it lands on the important versus urgent scale. I, I rarely find there to be much disagreement on where it is placed on mm-hmm. the scale. I find that the most important thing is just aligning that the scale or the, the, the framework exists.
1: Mm. This this mm. brings up something really interesting, which is, I believe what you just said was that a lot of times, once we talk things out, we come to an agreement. That doesn't mean that, that everything is non-contentious and that we don't have conflict, but it's a lot of times we don't do these things because we fear the outcome. And a lot mm-hmm. of time, our expectations of the outcome is not at all related to what the outcome is. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, so how, where, where, um, how do you kind of encourage those in your organization to do what's called eating the frog? And if you do it all, um, how do you or how do you yourself kind of go through those tasks that are really hard that seem really hard before you do them, and how do you kind of work with that? I'm not familiar with eating the frog. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that e- e- eating the frog the first thing in the morning. So you find the task uh, that's the that will take the most energy, or the most time, or the most kind of uh, is the most difficult to do, and you do that thing first, so that you make sure that you every day you're tackling the thing that's the the hardest thing to do that you would normally procrastinate on. Hmm. Yeah.
0: We've never talked about that framework, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not sure. I don't know that I 100% agree with it, to be frank. I mean, the, the hardest thing is not necessarily the most important or most mm. urgent, mm. right? Um, so we've, I, I've, I've, it's an interesting one, mm. um, but but it's not one that we have subscribed subscribed to historically. Uh-huh. Um, and I think in, in our case, so what we do have is, um, we set OKRs for everyone, um, the different teams, and in some cases down to the individual level. So objective and key results to help the various teams and even people align on kind of what's important this quarter, this year, and then they can also see how those OKRs line up to the broader company's OKRs mm-hmm. and how the broader company's OKRs can line up into our vision, mission. Mm-hmm. Um, th- those are the things that we care about. I find that when we have that framework in place, we don't need to micromanage in terms of what they're doing on an individual day basis. I, I, I don't. I don't like to do that, to be mm-hmm. frank. Mm-hmm. Um, so if as long as they're progressing towards their OKRs, um, they have the latitude to kind of accomplish those those OKRs in the ways that they view are, are most effective. Now, it may turn out that midway through the quarter, we realize it's the wrong OKR. Mm-hmm. Maybe the maybe the goals themselves, maybe the uh, the numbers in the OKRs are wrong, or just perhaps the actual uh, objective is wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, either or, um, we're open to to kind of pivoting and, and making changes mid quarter to allow the team the latitude to say, all right, we were focusing the wrong North star let's change. And that'll then impact our day-to-day lives as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of like what folks are working on in any individual day or week, we trust that it's laddering up to their own OKRs and um, consistent with the company. Mm-hmm. Now when it's not, that causes issues. Um, so when someone spends, uh, and this has happened before, someone will you know have an OKR for a quarter they spend the first five weeks that has nothing to do with it and they their basic explanation might be something to the effect of, well, I thought this thing would also be helpful. Well, that's a, that's tough because there are other people at the company that relied on the first OKR, right? Um, and so why didn't you communicate that? If we had the wrong OKR, let's talk about that. But we need to be able to rely on each other once we agree on a, on a North
1: Star. Interesting. Uh, so there, yeah, there's a few questions. That I think you'd have specific insight on I think the most interesting right now would be you. You guys have raised quite a bit of money. You've gotten to that that you know Series C stage, which is which is you know this seed for my listeners, a seed, which is the beginning when you got an idea and you raise your first round from people, and then there's Series A when you've got a little trap, you've got traction, and then you you kind of get money to grow, and then Series B, which is further than that, and Series C, which is quite a bit further than that. So you've gone from early, you know, uh, maybe not necessarily known company to a known company. And I imagine that you've gotten a lot of invitations to a lot of um, conferences and all these different things. <laughs> if, if, that's yeah. the if, if it's not the case, please let me know. But, no, it is. It is. I'm just laughing. <laughs> yeah. So you've seen this kind of progression from not known to known, and then all the attention for things that go going back to that not important thing might not be important, but feel good. Um, how, how do you know when those things are work and when those things are not work?
0: Hmm. Meaning what, when they're, when they're beneficial to work?
1: Yeah. Beneficial to what you guys want to achieve with the company. Cause I mean, I imagine that sometimes going to a conference and speaking in front of a conference is a good thing for the company, but there's a, tra- there's a trap there as well yeah. that you can get stuck in and doing the things that like feel, because it also feels really good to go up on, on stage and talk in front of people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I wish we had more discipline on that um, I wish we had more discipline on that in the early years. I think today, um, we do a much better job in that than we did the first two or three years. Mm. Um, we use a, um, imperfect formula to try and understand the reach, the, basically the quality mm. and quantity of the audience. Mm. Right. And so, uh, I'll give an example. We spoke, um, I spoke at a, a conference uh, a few weeks ago in New York, um, where, uh, the, other speakers were phenomenal. Mm. The audience was really, really small. It might have been 50 people in the audience, mm. um, but they were recording it and they were putting it out to a much larger audience. Mm. We made a bet. We made a bet that their distribution uh, would make that an interesting platform for us. Mm. Um, you know, we we also um, really try hard to spread the speaking roles around the company, um, mm. so that it's not just me. And that's not really a, a time cost issue as much as it is there are folks here who are trying to build their careers and their brands. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, we have a lot of folks here that want to go start companies after mm-hmm. Circle level. And so them getting the chance to speak at a, uh, a conference, um, we think helps to certainly broaden the, the depth of the team, but also gives them an opportunity to stand in front of a couple hundred people and tell the story. Right, mm-hmm. and that's a good rep for an aspiring entrepreneur to get. Mm-hmm. Um, we think so. There's a little bit of a professional development um, component there as well. Mm-hmm. I think early on we were not as sophisticated at evaluating either the breadth or you know kind of the, the quality or quantity of uh, of a given audience, and I there were a lot of mistakes yeah. that I made um, in terms of accepting invites to go speak at things that ended up being, uh, not just wastes of time, but actually in some cases counterproductive. Mm. I I remember one story, or one time, uh, an entrepreneur, and I'm really, really tempted to call this person out, invited me to speak at a uh, a conference he held, um, and uh, he was gonna do a fireside chat with me. 400 people in the audience, and I didn't really vet it ahead of time. And midway through the fireside chat, he announced that he was starting a direct competitor to us. And for the remaining 30 minutes of the fireside chat, he um, put up stats or basically like slides comparing the company that he was starting with circle up. And at the end he did a vote amongst the 400 people. He asked everyone to like log into this app and vote on which company that they would rather invest into circle up or his company. Um, and I'm just sitting there like are you kidding me now fortunately you're not it didn't really matter but like <laughs> the, the audience was pretty shocked that he was doing it they, they they everyone realized really quickly um that this was like a little bit of an ambush job and so they voted for circle up to <laughs> <him>. <laughs> so it backfired uh but that, that was an example of like I just should have done should have spent five minutes doing research or thinking about it before uh, accepting it that was, uh-uh. our, that was our first year
1: that is really interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that story. It's like, that's, <laughs> that's like really interesting and, and and it feels like for anybody starting a company, it's like, there's an example, like you just do some research, do some quick research um, and really know what you're getting into. Um, uh, so so I think something else that you might have insight on is most companies never get to series A, most, most companies never get to seed stage, you guys got to series C. And what are some of the problems that you don't face in a series A or in a seed stage that you do face in a series C? Um, and how can founders start to think strategically? And I know that probably depends on an uh, in individual case of what the company does and where they are. But is there any sort of like general framework that you can share about that?
0: You know, when we were Series A, um, so Union Square Ventures uh, led our Series A, um, just a phenomenal VC firm. And they have this CEO conference every year where all their CEOs, probably 60, 70 people come uh, and sit in a room for a day or so and just talk about different issues. And and in our Series A, first time we went, I remember one of the topics was um, size of the team. And in particular, it was the engineering team. And uh, different CEOs were remarking that as the engineering team got larger, it got slower.
2: Hmm.
0: So one, one CEO said, you know, we went from five to 25 engineers in the past year, and we can actually build fewer things less efficiently. And I'm just, just pulling up my hair and trying to figure out why. Hmm. And it's not, you know, there's some specifics around engineering that are, that are relevant, but more broadly, like, I think it's just true for teams in general larger teams have processes, have more structure, are less nimble. And there are um, some some tools and techniques that people have tried to build in to help uh, create efficiency and to allow teams to still stay nimble. But it's really, really hard. Mm -hmm. So back to your original question, like what I've seen in terms of the difference between Series A and Series C, one is that, you know, with a larger team, There are things that even though you're the CEO, you can't do as effectively as you'd like.
2: Mm.
0: When it was four people, you could look across the table and say, hey, let's change what we're doing next week. Let's do this instead. And there wasn't a lot of like hemming and hawing. Here, there's a bunch of things that you got to go through to get that done. Mm. Um, And... Look, maybe that's because I'm not doing as an effective job as, as, I, as I could be, but I, I haven't heard much of a different story from other CEOs. So I think that's one component. Um, I think just institutional momentum um, is, is a related topic. So momentum around a product vision, remote, momentum around brand, um, positioning, strategy, etc. It's a lot easier to pivot a Series A company than it is a Series C company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all those things are true. Now there are also some benefits, right? Some more resources um, have some benefits, a bigger brand name, mm-hmm. um, the ability to attract different levels of talent. Um, all those things are, are true as well. So mm-hmm. it's a, you know, there's
1: some pros and some cons. Mm. And you talked about this a little in your tweet in the in the pivot because you had to make a pivot at Studio C. Is that is that correct? Mm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what was like? Can you give people the story that you mentioned in the tweet?
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a, it's a long story, but I, I, I I can start. Um, so we raised our series C in, uh, the end of 2015. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, we were a marketplace at the time. Effectively Mm -hmm. companies would come on to circle up, uh, raise money, um, from family offices, individual investors, institutional investors, et cetera. Um, and some of the stats were great. Um, but it was kind of masking just a fundamental problem um, with the marketplace that wasn't going to get fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, we eventually realized that and made a decision to pivot the business. Mm-hmm. And uh, that pivot, um, which took place, you know, kind of through from 2016 into 2017 uh, was one of, if not the most difficult professional things I've ever done.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, we had a layoff, um, which, uh, you know, I will forever feel a tremendous amount of regret about, um, for the people that were affected. Uh, we, uh, uh, really were lost for a period of time Mm -hmm. and the stress level on, um, a number of people here, but in particular, my co-founder and I, um, was really, really difficult to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, not doing um, TM or transcendental meditation at the time. I did not have a management coach. I did not have a group of CEOs that I could um, as effectively uh, talk with. And um, it felt lonely. Mm -hmm. Even though I had a co-founder and I also have a a wife that's extremely supportive, um, I, I just felt lonely. Mm-hmm. And that's not an indication of how effective they are at, in their relationship with me. It's just more a reflection of, of me and, mm-hmm. and my ability to deal with the stress and what I was willing to open up about and not open up about. Um, and you know, there were, there are different low points throughout some of which I talked about publicly and some of which I, I did not. Um, but you know, I think, uh, it's not something that I would wish on, on, on anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it was horrible. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, the, the companies that often go through pivots <clears throat> um, you don't hear about the mm-hmm. difficult pivots as much as I wish you did. Cause mm-hmm. when you're going through it and you start Googling around for how to do a pivot, how to deal with it, mm-hmm. how to talk to the company about it, there's not a lot out there that's particularly effective um, which was really frustrating for me, just the lack of resources, the lack of CEOs who were willing to talk about it publicly.
1: And that's why I really appreciate. And so sort to of my, my audience, like my whole show is trying to share an authentic version of the stresses and challenges that we, we deal with. So it's really, I'm, I'm, I'm very appreciative that you do share this because like, it's so hard to find people who, who actually share the truth, not the truth marketed it in a way that furthers their brand which in, in is ironic because a lot of time, authenticity today is actually a better way to go about it. Would you Would you agree? What do you think?
0: I definitely think,
1: I mean, yeah, mm-hmm.
0: I, I absolutely think that um, leaders that are able to be authentic are those that will build trust and uh, uh, support and people that wanna follow them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we talk about internally here at Circle Up, um, a trust equation which sounds a little bit geeky but for me and for us it's really worked well it is effectively um, trust equals credibility times reliability times authenticity or vulnerability there's it would be a different word um and some people divide that by self-interest some people don't but like those first three variables credibility reliability and authenticity um have been really effective for us to talk about trust you know when you say someone does or does not trust other people, it just becomes really loaded and really hard to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, When you can identify why, that makes it really easy. So reliability, Uh, Stuart sends me an email and I don't respond for three weeks. Mm. Suddenly that lowers the trust. When you can identify why he wasn't reliable or we had an appointment today to start the podcast at 10.30, I don't pick up, I don't talk to you till 11.15, don't give you an answer why, that would hurt our trust. Mm. Credibility as an example, perhaps other podcasts that I've done or what you saw on Twitter helps to build credibility between us. Mm -hmm. And authenticity is, you know, we have found been really helpful to build a closeness and an intimacy um, to, uh, to build that trust as well. Um, And so what I've tried to do internally um, as a leader and externally is to, to, um, deliver on those three dimensions but you're talking about the authenticity component which I think gets probably the least amount of uh, uh, recognition um, but I think is vitally important mm.
1: interesting and it seems like with that equation it might lead to more difficult conversations upfront but in the long run is way easier for the person uh, being authentic and being credible and being reliable uh, that if you inculcate these values in the beginning and even though they might lead to difficult conversations uh in the short term, in the long term, it probably is a lot less stress, I would imagine.
0: I think so. Yeah, because you just know what the other person, you feel more confident, you know what the other person thinks and is feeling. Mm-hmm. And they know the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that feeling component is something that I I think a lot of leaders miss. Right. So the authenticity, you know, delivering the feedback um of uh it really sucks that you were late Mm. It's different than I feel disrespected that you were late. I feel hurt. I feel unseen talking about that feeling language I have found to be a really effective way to build an authentic relationship with the other person. And also so that they can understand really what's going on in your head. Mm -hmm. Um, And to do
1: the same thing, to ask them to do the same thing back to you. Mm. And that's a key point in nonviolent communication gets into this. And, and, and it sounds like you are familiar with nonviolent communication by the way you, you, you uh, structured that and saying that, that it's not something that you did that upset me. It's that I feel this way because of this. So it, it, because as human beings, it's impossible for us to enter someone else's head and know exactly what they're feeling. We can get insights and intuitions into that. We can't really know for sure what somebody else is doing.
0: Exactly. There's a, a, a class at Stanford Business School called uh, Touchy-Feely or Interpersonal yeah. Dynamics. Um, it, it sounds like you've heard of it. Uh, no, I haven't, but I've heard of uh, but please Can you explain more? Yeah. Um, it used to be taught by this amazing woman named Carol Robin. Mm-hmm. Um, Carol since left and started a, a program called Leaders in Tech, um, uh, which is just phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. And I've been a part of it for the last year and a half or so. Um, basically taking the same uh, methodology, the same uh, frameworks and trying to apply it to uh, entrepreneurship um, and mm-hmm. helping to lead uh, helping entrepreneurs and, 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 uh, and CEOs to learn more about how to do exactly what you just said, which is to expose your feelings and, and communicate in a vulnerable and authentic way. Mm-hmm. Um, I There's so many touch points you have throughout the day. Mm. and so little time to with, with the various team members that work for you and the, the external stakeholders and let's say the media et cetera. Mm. and it's really hard to build an authentic connection with so little time in each of the touch points mm. you know in our company like there are folks that I won't talk to in a given week because the team's large enough or they sit in different area that company, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure at larger companies, it, they might not talk to them in a given month mm. or six months or, or ever. Mm. And so how do you, for someone you never talk to or rarely talk to, or someone that you talk to every single day, how do you build an authentic relationship with that person that leads them to trust you? We talked about credibility and reliability, but this authenticity component, I think Carol has taught in just a world-class way um in helping to uh her students, whether that was at Stanford several years ago or now in Leaders in Tech, trying to help them see the opportunity uh uh to build those authentic
1: relationships by communicating their feelings more effectively. Mm. That was so good. And I wanna I wanna interview her now. Um but uh this is bringing to mind something it's a little bit tangential. Uh i've been reading this great book called robert uh, by behave by robert sapolsky and he goes into the neurobiology of behavior one of the very interesting things that comes up is that we as human beings probably evolved in an environment where we didn't interact with other people more than 150 other people um and so our brains and our frontal cortex is basically developed as very social beings to be able to uh, uh, have a theory of mind about what the other person is thinking and try to adapt to that and everything like that. And we we found, uh, he has found in his studies that people in cities who have larger social networks have a more developed frontal cortex. So they, oh. their their brain is actually um, uh, uh, molded by their experiences of relationship with other people. And it seems like as a founder of a company, you are involved with a lot of people um, mm-hmm. and, and not only within the company, but also outside the company, you have to maintain a large network of, of investors in order to raise the next round, all these different things, uh, your customers, your clients. And so it, it, do you feel, and this is, you know, this might be the first time you've heard this before, so I don't expect a, 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 a totally uh, um, integrated answer, but how have, have you felt your brain being molded in this way now that I've kind of uh, expressed this at all?
0: I felt, uh, I, I It would not surprise me if a doctor said that my brain has changed Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, That would not surprise me. Um, So it's hard for me to say I I feel it to be honest with you, but like my intuition is that uh, this experience has dramatically changed my my mindset my way of thinking Um, You know, it's there's nothing else that really I don't think prepares you for this. Yes. The, the going back to that concept of you got 100 fires, let 97 of them burn. Mm. Right? Like, where else in life do you deal with that? <laughs> I mean, I've got two kids, and you don't. I don't think you deal with it in, in, in quite the same scale there. Right? Mm. Like you. It's rare when uh, in life where you see other jobs where someone. Gets an email or is notified of something that could potentially have dramatically negative consequences for them and their company, and you say, "Can't deal with it. Just move mm-hmm. on. Just we're gonna we're gonna let it burn. Go on." Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's a non. It's a not not infrequent uh, occurrence at a startup. Um, now, not not every CEO or founder is willing to talk about it. Like you mm-hmm. walk down the street in San Francisco, and you find 10 entrepreneurs, I think nine of them will tell you that they're crushing it. Mm. Um, but it is the
1: reality. Hmm. Interesting. So, and, in, and you have a large organization. Would you say that you're a type of person who gets energized by, by, um, being with other people or does it take energy to do it? I'm probably lean more towards being an introvert. It takes energy. Yeah. Um, I,
0: I, I, I'm okay standing up in front of people and talking, but like smaller groups and certainly one-on-one um, more take energy from me than, than, than give it, mm-hmm. um, which is a hard place to be as an entrepreneur, but I don't think it's particularly unique to, to me, um, whether or not I'm good on stage or that I'm good in one-on-ones I think is a different issue, but it yes. certainly takes, takes energy.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the question I wanted to ask. Cause I have, I have the same issue and, and uh, not issue, I guess, cause I, a lot, a lot of, I imagine that actually a lot of founders benefit from this because they're so used to that feeling and they're very, and they're very, they're receptive to what is going on around them with the people around them. So they're in some ways might make them a better leader. But it also is a challenge because it takes energy to be with people, and the job is to be around people all day. So it's actually a very personal question for me because I have an interest in, in creating a company one day. and And how do you how do you um, what are there any frameworks or things you can say to someone like this about about what they can do to work with this challenge?
0: I so I think I think everyone is different. Mm-hmm. I have worked really hard to try and identify. Um, more specifically when are times that I'm given energy and Mm. taking away energy. Mm. And so I try to take the things off my plate that suck energy from me. Mm. And by the way, there's other people in the world that those exact same activities give them energy or they, you know, they like it. So, you know, we, um, we try to, I don't know, every four or six months go through a process where we're identifying things that, okay, is this something that Ryan should, is he is it something that he likes to do or is it something that he's good at?
2: Mm.
0: Right. Um, and you ideally feel like you're focusing just on the things that you are both good at and like to do, mm. but things that I don't like to do and I'm not good at, let's take those things off my plate now. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, and so there's a, a kind of a two by two framework that we, we talk about um, that, that helps you that, or that, that helps to kind of straighten that out. Um, for me, some of the things that I've identified that suck energy for me when I'm late for a meeting. Um, I really hate being late. Mm. I, I was, um, I, I, I um, have a recurring nightmare about being late to, uh, basketball practice. Mm. Um, I haven't been on a basketball team, official team in 20 years. Mm. And I'm still, I still have probably once a week, a recurring nightmare of that. Mm. It is really not something I like to do. So we tried to build into my schedule purposely gaps. We try to, uh, hold meetings that are 25 minutes instead of 30 minutes, 50 mm. minutes instead of 60 minutes, as an example, mm. um, have me in the exact same room and then just have the other participants move out. Um, things like that. Mm. Uh, this may sound like a silly example to other people, but it's been meaningful for me. Mm. Um, we build, I built in, um, two hours at the end of every day from 3:30 to 5:30, where I'm in a, a room by myself with the door closed. Mm. And we just call it individual contributor time. Mm -hmm. That helps me to recharge and to um, get through some of the work that I need to do as an IC. Um, I don't know if that's good for every CEO. Maybe it's not even good for Circle Up. Mm -hmm. But I think it's good for me. Mm -hmm. And going back to the mental health thing, like, I am a better husband when I get home Mm -hmm. on days when I am able to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm able to, um, you know decompress a bit more and uh, uh, be more present with my wife and my kids. Um, and By the way, like she has a stressful job herself. She's the CMO at an comp- uh, ed tech company called Coursera. Mm. Um, and so we, um, we have those methods to try and be more present um, at home in part because of some investments we're making
1: at work. Mm -hmm. And which seems like it would have a positive feedback loop for when you then show up back in the next morning at work. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like,
0: you know, in a day where I have a difficult discussion with my wife, I'm not, or a night, I'm not great the next morning. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like, as you lean into investing into that relationship and look, some people are single, some people are married, some people have kids, some people don't, whatever. But like, everyone's got a personal life. Mm. And so that personal life for you is playing with your kids, a dog, your friends, or video games, whatever it is, being able to invest into that so that you are more re-energized the next day is mm. really important, I think, for the long-term benefit of uh,
1: yourself and your own mental health, most importantly, but also the company.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. That's, I think we've gotten some really good stuff out here. So we've got a couple minutes left. What is something that uh, that you've been reading, that you've been on your mind, that has impacted you in the last couple of weeks, that you'd really think would my audience would find value in. Well, that's a high bar. Um, <laughs>
0: so so uh, I'll, I'll throw out some ideas, but uh-huh. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know if everyone will agree with it. Yeah. Uh, two books that I've read recently that um, kind of come to mind related to this conversation. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and and I don't know. Maybe some people have read them. Uh, maybe some people haven't. But one is um, called "Man's Search for Meaning." Mm. It was written. Have you heard of the book? It's I've read it. Yeah,
1: Victor Frankl. Yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. Written in the '40s. Um, you can read it in a day. Mm. Um, but I think someone will read it fifty times because it's it's an amazing book. Mm. Um, it's, it chronicles his experiences um, uh, as a prisoner um, in uh, in World War II. Um, in a concentration camp, and um, there are just some extraordinary life lessons um, in that book. Um, so that that was that was one. Um, another is called um, Captain Class. Um, so Cl- Captain Class, I, I to be candid with you, hate sports analogies. Mm. Um, I, I played sports. I just don't think. Um, I think what you can do is a Basketball coach in college or the NBA is completely different with what's acceptable or appropriate in the work setting Mm -hmm. for a thousand and one reasons Mm -hmm. but um, This I think Wall Street Journal reporter Sam Walker um, looked at the most successful sports teams of all time across History geography different sports and identified a common theme and the common theme um, uh, Was that they all had a captain? That had uh, uh, specific traits, and the traits were completely non-obvious, um, at least non-obvious to, to me, and I think to to most people. So it was usually not the best player, as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the traits were obvious, you know, persistence, as an example. Um, or I think maybe they, I forget the way they phrase it, but it's essentially grit and persistence. not particularly surprising. Um, but there's some other ones around low key practical, practical communication. So it was not standing up and giving these rah, rah, Mm. amazingly eloquent speeches. Mm. It was nonverbal displays of communication and motivation. Um, uh, just like, you know, a smile, um, like a high five, like just things like that. Um, being able to have emotional control, um, conviction, and courage to stand apart mm. um, was another one. Um, and, and the one that I kind of liked the most, to be candid with you, um, they call carrying, he calls carrying the water. Mm. Um, I won't give the detail on, it's not really relevant on why he calls it that, but is it just effectively willingness to like roll up your sleeves and get on the floor? Mm. And when I see, when I think of like, Myself as a leader or the leaders that we try and develop here at circle up um, Regardless of their title position um, These traits in this book captain class really resonated with me particularly just the ability to like get on the floor and do the dirty work Mm -hmm. That's it Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So those are some of the things that I've read recently or or been thinking about recently that uh, I thought relevant for the conversation.
1: Very cool. Uh, so how can people find out more about what you do? What, what circle up does, uh, get in touch with you if, if they've found this conversation really interesting. Sure. Um, so circleup.com, we have a, a blog
0: called the up round, a third and learning more about what we do. Um, in terms of getting in touch
1: with me, probably just Twitter, um, uh, would be the best. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you so much. It's been a huge pleasure.
0: Great. Great. Well, wonderful to, to be on it. And thanks for the time. Yep.
1: Hope you all enjoyed this episode with Ryan. Uh, I know that I enjoyed recording it and I hope it's a value to you. Uh, really interesting wisdom that he has straight from actually building a company. So really hope it's valuable. Um, and if you did find it valuable, you want to subscribe. I release uh, episodes every Monday and Friday before your morning commute on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. So go ahead and subscribe on any, any of those channels. And if you want to apply for that online course, please uh, please either send me an email at Stuart Alsop, iii at uh, gmail.com and or sign up for my blog stewardallsop.substack.com i'll be including a lot more information on how people can apply to that um, because it's an application only course uh, we're going to do some live live trainings on how to raise money from somebody who just did it so hopefully that's a value to you really hope you guys have a great day please let me know if there's anything i can do to make your lives more peaceful and joyful (laughs) hope you guys have a great day